understanding music theory, even on some kind of surface level, can totally change your life and your perspective on what you're doing. I mean, we're musicians. Our whole life is music. So if you change one aspect of your understanding of music, I mean, in a sense, you're changing your life. Welcome, everybody, to Nashville Drummers Podcast, episode 26. Today's guest is my good friend, Daniel Kozlowski. Dan is originally from Los Angeles, California, and graduated from Belmont University right here in Nashville, Tennessee, where he studied percussion performance and music theory. Dan is a multi-talented drummer and educator when he's not recording sessions from his home studio or touring or playing showcases in town. He actually continues to teach both music theory and oral skills at Belmont University. And music theory and the importance of education and charting was a big part of our conversation with Dan. I really enjoyed hearing his perspective on really learning the language, you know, as drummers, kind of getting away from just the basic two and four and grooves behind our instrument and really being more of a force in a live setting and how that's actually gotten him more gigs and really elevated you know his skill sets as a hireable musician i noticed early on in the conversation well actually immediately that he has a very calm and gentle affect which is something that i often prefer in my educational professionals which he is and i also noticed early on that i really enjoy saying his last name kozlowski yeah his cool last name it is It was also cool to learn of his journey during the pandemic where he pivoted from a touring drummer to a studio session drummer building his home studio during that time. And it was actually really surprising learning that he kind of started that just from scratch and to see like his discography and the work that he's done is just very inspirational. And lastly, as we sit here in February of the new year, the concept that Dan kept bringing up was having a mood board for yourself, essentially having bigger picture goals and topics to serve as inspiration. So we hope that you find this interview with Dan valuable and inspirational as you tackle your goals for the new year. And again, if you're enjoying these episodes, you can help us out by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, share with a friend. Also, we have a few t-shirts left, so please hit us up if you would like some merch. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Nashville Drummers Podcast. And we'd like to take a second to thank our sponsor, Music Lab Nashville. Should we cheers to our podcast? Thanks for having me Thanks for bringing this. Thanks for hanging out. Nazarovia. So Koslowski, you said it was Polish? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, grandma came over after World War II, did the whole thing. Nice. Well, dude, so glad you're here. I've known you for some time now, and you're yeah. meeting Nate here for the first time. And What do you think I'm going to say next about someone that I've met? Oh, Dan's one of the first drummers I've met in town. But it's actually true. Well, you do, like, when you first get going, <laughs> you do the, like, assault of, me reach out Let's to create, 500 yeah. people. Yeah. So, yeah, like, 500 people could be the very first people you met, because that's what yeah. you do when you, <laughs> you get and going. And thus, 500 episodes of the podcast yeah. were born. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the first week of your life here, you had three years of podcast Totally. Material. No, but, I mean, I think, and we've talked about this maybe offline, there's definitely, like, a Southern kind of hospitality thing here in Nashville where like a lot of people you meet are very friendly, especially like those first encounters. And then you'll say like, oh, let's meet for coffee or like let's do a shed or something. And then 
That doesn't always happen, but with Daniel, he's the real deal. Like I'll text you and you'll say, yeah, let's meet at Frothy Monkey next weekend. Yeah. Be free. Hell yeah, brother. So I appreciate it and I'm stoked to have you on here. So. Dale, yeah, man. It's 2023. Yeah, man. We're doing it for Dale. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and I'm always down for Frothy and I'm always down to nerd out. Yeah, man. That's, I mean, I feel like I take that in a positive way, a real challenge, because I know I haven't made enough time for things like that in my life. And I keep thinking, I need to spend some more time doing that and being very purposeful with that. Maybe even just pick a day a week yeah. to go and like get coffee or connect with a friend or something. How do you nurture something like that in yourself? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's a big question. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a, what a starter. It's actually really interesting. I, when I first got going, I guess this was like 2016, I went to Belmont, but I was a classical percussion major and I did music theory there as well. So I wasn't really doing the things that we're doing. You know, I was more wrapped up in other stuff and I'd moved away for a couple of years. I got my master's at Ohio State, yeah. also in percussion. And then had planned on going and getting a PhD or a DMA and got pretty burned out. Like my master's program was a little weird, kind of interesting couple of years and uh, was like, okay, I'm going to take a gap year, move back to Nashville, love this city and uh, started teaching at Belmont and got some cool gigs. And I was like, oh, you can make money while doing this stuff. And I had never seen that kind of money come in from doing things that I love doing. And yeah. so... I just was kind of like, well, I don't why. I mean, I guess I'm not in a hurry. Maybe I'll wait another year or two or three or four or five. And the PhD just never came because I would just started. Sounds make, like you didn't need it. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah. And, and you know, the goal of a PhD or a DMA is you go get like a full-time college professor thing. And But I'm already scratching that itch by being an adjunct. And so I was like, I can kind of have my cake and eat it too by, you know, doing that a couple of days a week over there. And then gigging and being expressive and creative and doing all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but I didn't really start doing what, like gigging and all that. I didn't really start doing that until like 2016, 2017. Okay. Just because I was kind of phasing out of like classical boy lifestyle. And I mean, there's a whole story in my mid-20s and, oh, you know, that's a whole, another <laughs> episode for my therapist. <laughs> but yeah, at some point I got going and I was like, I, I want to give this music industry thing a spin. Yeah. So, so this will probably air after the fact, but we were talking beforehand, the semester starts for you tomorrow. So tell us quick what your role is at Belmont. Yeah. So I'm an adjunct professor and I do music theory and oral skills almost exclusively. Mm -hmm. I have done percussion in the past. I've done like percussion ensemble and I teach a graduate course once a year. Um, but yeah, most semesters I've got two or three classes. I'll have like 40 to 80 students. Usually it's like three days a week in the morning. So I'm like just over there like teaching triads and, you know, secondary <laughs> dominance and form and whatever else comes up and grading papers and stuff like that. And yeah, then, yeah, by night I'm like, you know, put on my bat suit and... You know, hit, put on put on my trucker hat and hit the road right. and do all that kind of stuff. Or bunker down in the studio, which we'll talk about, and yeah. do sessions. And, yeah, exactly. I mean, we, I think we've had most of our guests, you know, we found have like multiple streams of income, multiple passion projects. I feel like you kind of have to have, unless you've got like, you know, this incredible gig, maybe a touring gig, but even that sometimes is not paying the bills. Yeah. And sometimes know. too, they're not very sustainable. Yeah. You know, I know you just had John in here. I don't know John very well, but like, you know, big gigs like that can really burn you out. And I was just on the phone with a buddy of mine who's working on a bigger gig than Parker. And uh, 
you know, and he's, he's just burned out, you know, he's been in it for two years and he's like ready to be done. And sometimes, you know, like it, it seems like everybody, you know, like you want this like dream, like Garth Brooks type gig where it's like, yeah. I can ride this thing <laughs> into the sunset, but yeah. you know, the Kinda odds like, of that, I mean, yeah. you might as well play the lottery. Unless you're yeah. Todd Zuckerman playing with sticks. Yeah. Yeah. Still, right. And doing clinics. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those are once in a blue moon things. And so being diversified is something that I've always really striven to do. Also, I'm just, I'm restless. Like if I were to do one thing over and over and over again, I think I would get bored pretty quickly. I think, yeah. I think I'm the same way. Probably you too. Oh man. What do I have going on here? Like, okay. Crusade flight information. You just got back from, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> uh, like, and then playing full-time Broadway. Okay. Oh, and teaching a little bit. Like, yeah, I probably should chill. <laughs> no, that's but, why you haven't shaved. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but like that, that like razor's edge feeling yeah. is so cool sometimes when yeah. you're just like running around like a madman and it's it's cool. I like the variety. Like, so. Oh my God, I can't believe I can actually do all these things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That crunch, man. It hits. When it hits right, it's good. But yeah. you know what? Being an educator and actually then playing, there's so much more weight to that. There are some great educators who don't like they don't gig. That's I'm not saying you can't have that. But when you see both happening in one person, you're like, okay, cool. Yeah. I know I can trust your opinion. Mm. I know. Like anytime I can I, I can see you go and play and be like, yeah, yep, proof in the pudding. He's got the thing, doing the thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's nice, yeah. Like you know, when you're in college or whatever and you go watch your professor like yes. play the gig and you're like, oh man. <laughs> and, you know, things start to come together and you like see the technical thing that they've been trying to point out to you and you're like, oh, that's what it looks like. Yes. Yeah. It's those things like that, those connections that I think are really valuable. Yeah. And I think too, like it keeps on both sides of the coin, it keeps me really grounded. Mm. Playing keeps my teaching grounded in practice. You know, like what mm. are you going to see, especially at Belmont? I mean, so many of these students are going to be on the road like I've run into students on the road all the time kind of weird <laughs> but you know what do they need to know to go out and be successful also at the same time like using my that cerebral music theory brain to then inform my playing I think is I'm sure we'll talk about this like yeah. that's a big thing for me and that keeps me kind mm -hmm. of grounded in in those two things I think interact in really nice ways yeah it's interesting because I think a lot of our guests they've kind of just moved here and just Blitzkrieg approach, kind of balls to the wall. Don't necessarily have a plan, and certainly a lot of them don't have music theory degrees. Well, actually, we've had a few that have had percussion backgrounds. You know, mm -hmm. Kevin Keith, we interviewed Kaylee. So there's been a few, but and you have a, like those, and, and me too. Yeah, you have a classical degree. So I think, yeah, but I feel like we're all in the minority. Mm. But it's interesting that you've kind of done it. My point is we've all arrived more or less at the same point, mm. but from different paths, different yeah. journeys. Yeah. Yeah. And there is no one path. Obviously. I mean, I'm, I, I, that's probably what this whole podcast is about. I mean, there's yeah. no one yeah. path. Everybody can do it your own way, which is the cool part. It's also absolutely maddening and terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> Many paths, similar, if not identical obstacles mm -hmm. for whatever reason. That's kind of the fun of this podcast is going, oh, yeah, you went about it this way. Oh, but that happened to you, too, anyway. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. <laughs> you didn't do it. Till okay. Okay, cool. Then I'm not... Uh, steaming pile of garbage that just couldn't find the smart way to do it where I didn't get just destroyed by life in these ways. Oh, oh everyone has that? Okay, good. Yeah. yeah. I'm not alone anymore. Yeah. The shared trauma really creates community, <laughs> you know? It's quite bonding. Yeah, yeah it really is. Oh, well, man. Should we drink meat and talk music theory? Should we get into some of this? Uh, yeah. yeah That's good, by the way. I'm probably not going to have any more, but... Oh, well, thank, thank you. you. I, I'm not responsible. Well, my 
kind of responsible for it. I like kind of pick stuff up and set it down when we brew. Yeah. Um, but like I was saying, a, a buddy of mine kind of leads the charge on it. So there's like a handful of us that kind of hop in and hop out. And we'll, yeah. We'll help. It's 1000% yeah. just an excuse to get together and hang out. And, yeah. You know, it's nice having a, not like it's a full blown hobby for me, but it's nice just doing things and like being with people who are not musical and don't care about mm. music. And yeah. they just, you know, Michael's like an IT guy. Like, yeah. he's incredible at what he does and he's like super passionate about it. And then one of the other guys works for Olive and Sinclair and like really passionate about chocolate and the art of chocolate making. And oh, then there's whoa. me. And so it's what a, a room. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. a really cool yeah. like mix of things where, yeah, like I just, I can show up and not be on. You yeah. Know what I mean, yeah. Because I yeah, feel like you have I to put on the networking. Yeah. Kind like of walk face into Red Door. You've got to like play a character. <laughs> you know, yep. walk into Whiskey Jam and play Is a character. It, it's always freaking. Because that's, I mean, that's a shared drama. Again. Yeah. Like everybody, <laughs> you know, you when you walk into Red Door, you're like, you know, you put your time card in, man. Like you're, you're at work. Man, and that's why my career hasn't taken off. Not enough Red Door. I don't think I've been to Red Door in like three years. It's been a so, while yeah. for me. Yeah. Yeah. Let's M- talk music, music theory. theory. <laughs> okay. I want to know, know how has that informed where you are now and specifically with charts? I'm guessing that's, yeah, I, well, that's I know a, that's, that's a, a big part one, yeah. of your mindset and. That might have actually Your been approach. the first thing we ever talked about. I think I DM'd you because you had like put on IG some chart you were making. And I was like, man, we got to get you on Nashville numbers, man. Oh, that's it was, so funny. I don't yeah, remember that. I think that might have been it. Yeah. It's something I'm really passionate about. I, I talk about this a lot with my students. Understanding music theory, even on some kind of surface level can totally change your life and your perspective on what you're doing. I mean, we're musicians. Our whole life is music. So if you change one aspect of your understanding of music, I mean, in a sense, you're changing your life in some small way. And maybe this is because my dad's an engineer and I've got the like engineering thing. I want to know what makes things work, Mm. you know? And so if I'm going to be a musician and I'm going to be a drummer, I don't want to passively be engaging in it. I want to be thinking pretty actively about like, what are the materials that I'm working with? Dude, that's literally Thomas Finch that we had on. He's a drum tech. Mm. It was the same thought about a different thing. Like, he's mm. talking about physically the drums. Like yeah. He wants to know the shell and the wood types and everything. Yeah, because so, all those things come together in really yeah. unique ways. And when you learn and have a relationship with those materials, you know their tolerances. You can mm. bend things. You can work with them. You know, like, can this square peg fit in this round hole brings a different approach to music making Yeah, on a personal level. My other thing is on a community level. I mean, usually we're the odd men out because drummers are usually the ones without any like pitch training. Right. You know? So in a rehearsal, the bass player is like, oh yeah, like, hey, on the five, let's put a stop on that. And then, right. you know, after that, when we go to the four, can we diamond that real quick? And the drummer's like, I don't know, is when is that? Yeah. Is that the fourth bar of the chorus? Yeah. Is that the of three? You know, there's an incongruity there. And so I think developing a shared language among musicians is a really powerful thing. I mean, you know, music is a collaborative endeavor. And so I want to be speaking at least somewhat functionally the language of my friends because, you know, usually we're the odd men out. So I guess we have to conform. But 
yeah, I mean, if I can yeah. be useful in my conversations with guitar players and keys players and whatever else, it makes things work faster. The product is usually better. I know I can work a lot faster. I've got a, a story about that. I, I'll probably tell you guys. Yeah, yeah, please. This is fascinating. I had a few thoughts that came to mind when you were discussing that. But I'm curious first, where did that passion for like the nerd, nerdity, nerdity, is that a word? No, I don't think it, it is, is now. It, Nerdity. Yeah. Okay, no. wow, I just invented a word. That's that's going in. That's going in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Where did that kind of start for you? Like, was there a moment growing up in public school or taking drum lessons? When did it become like, oh, I really want to dive into this hmm. more? Kind of a confluence of things. So at Belmont, Chris Norton, crush guy, musician, like of the highest caliber. Ooh, um, I like those. Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird, man. Like, you know, kind of run into some of those people every once in a while where you like, he's a percussionist, studied music theory in school, conducts orchestras on the side of running a percussion studio, subs from the Nashville Symphony, used to play with the Jack Daniels ragtime band. So he's like up there shredding, like just ripping xylophone solos and like improvising. You know, I saw him do a clinic where he was like improvising blues over a Bach cello suite. Like, you know, we're talking like next level type stuff. Yeah. So having him as a role model and he really, I think that was his like pedagogical approach in lessons was like, have you, have you analyzed this? Do you know what you're even playing? Oh, you haven't? Well, go do that. So that was, I was getting kind of hit from that angle. Mm -hmm. And then I was taking music theory courses with my now boss, Dr. Hoffman, who is like one of the sweetest people on planet earth and has a real knack for just like uncovering these gems in this music like we'll be just looking through a schubert song and it's like just digging up all these key relationships and drawing charts on the board and like and this is why this is happening and you would never know you listen to this piece of music you're like wow this is really nice yeah and then you get in (laughs) then you get you know you peel back the cosmetic layer of prettiness and you look at what's underneath it and you're like oh dang this is serious art down here like you you've got real structure yeah and so i think having those two things come together began to tell me like hey this is pretty important because i think there's something here that i should be paying attention to Mm -hmm. um and it just kind of kept sticking i like it obviously it scratched that itch it hit that part of my brain you know i think genetically maybe predisposed (laughs) to it in some sense but that's where I kind of got started, and I guess he never really left. It's cool now that you've taken that passion, and now you're teaching it to others, you know, passing it down. Yeah. And like probably we're, learning. We're never done learning. You probably feel that way. I know you do a lot of lessons too, right, Nate? Yeah. And like we were talking about, keeps me grounded in my teaching, and it keeps me grounded in my playing, and those two things always get to interact, and it's yeah. cool how those those waters kind of converge yeah. in interesting ways. Yeah. Very cool. I guess fast forward a little bit to your current gigs and then as a segue also how the theory has kind of informed current gigs when it comes to charting and how you prepare for maybe a new gig and learning, you know, a lot of new music. Yeah, totally. Having a good ear, even just like a functional one, like can you hear one, four, five, six kind of stuff? It's pretty nice. I mean, it, it gets 90% of country music right there just with yeah. those, those couple of chords. And so being able to sit down and prepare quickly is really nice. Like I was talking about with the shared language. So like I'm band leading for Jordan Row right now. That's kind of my main touring gig. And I used to play with Austin Burke for a little bit. This was the first time this really came to a head. Austin is this incredible performer and like loves to just totally call an audible in the middle of the song and be <laughs> like, we're going back to the, you know, just, yeah, you know, and so we'll be on tracks or on click or whatever. And I would have an MD mic and 
you know, you're on stage performing and Austin's like, hey, I'm going to drag my friend on stage and he's going to sing the last chorus. But it. but before that happens, we have to wait for four minutes for the guy to get up past security and get up on stage and oh do a lot. So like, how That's are we going to fill time? Yeah, The click <laughs> is running. Everybody's kind of looking around like, what do we do next? And I can just get on the mic and be like, vamp on the one. Yeah. Hey, yeah. we're going to the pre. Somebody's lost. You're speaking that Two, language. Yeah. Five. For, you know, I can just, yeah. I can speak the language those keys. enough, and I'm the only one with the mic, so I'm in charge, I guess, and help kind of steer the ship. And I do that yeah. at Wild Horse, too. Like, if we have a sub come in, it's like, oh, yeah, like, we don't do this bridge. We're going straight to the four chord. Mm. Or if there's no ending on a song, like, hey, everybody end on the five. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it gives me that shared language where if I say that one thing, everybody knows exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. And we're all on the same page yeah. in like five words, which I think is really powerful. And like, honestly, the drummer always has the MD mic. Embrace the power. Yeah. yeah. We're the only ones in people's ears. Yeah. Get after it. Yeah. Lean so, into that, drummers. Yeah. <laughs> like, honestly, it's, yeah. And man, so, talk about what a horrible asset that you are to have that. To your point, like, even if you have the mic, if a drummer is in that position and can't direct the group and speak that language, you're not the music director, you know, like, yeah, you're just not, you're the drummer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. And I, you know, <laughs> assets and liabilities, right? Like yeah. you want to be useful to the people around you. Yeah. And to do that, you got to speak their language. And then, yeah, the other thing is just chart making and preparation, I think becomes much less daunting, you know. Um, I have a buddy of mine. He'll get a new song from an artist and he'll come sit down at the kit for four hours and play it over and over and over and over and over until he's got it right. And there's a lot of value in that process. But sometimes you don't have the luxury of a drum set, yeah, you know, maybe. The time. Yeah, or maybe yeah. you're like on a flight or something like that. and Or maybe you're backstage at the gig and the guy's like, hey, can we actually just toss this song on there? And you're like, I don't know it. Hold on, let me make a chart real quick. Mm -hmm. um, or if the guitar player's got a number chart, he'll send it to you. You have the chart already done. You just have to go in and make your notations for like groove and just double check things. Yeah. So it really collapses the preparation time. I find I can chart a song in like one or two listens and have all the information that I need so that I don't have to just be like hitting it over and over and over again to feel like I've internalized all the details. Yeah. yeah. And I can... You know, I can now just be playing from the chart, peek down every once in a while, be good to go. And I know that I've got that resource yeah. waiting for me. Yeah, I'll tell you the story. And I've, I've heard various versions of this kind of story. I think it was like August or September. It was a Wednesday afternoon. I remember it. It was like 3.30. And I was sitting on the couch because I was like, this is my first afternoon off in like a month. I'm going to be a worthless human <laughs> for the next six hours. Yeah. Let's go. And I'd like just sat down. And an artist that I've worked with before, Maggie Baugh, called me and it was like 3.45 and she's like, hey, my drummer is sick and can't make it. Loden's at four. Can you be there? And I was like, yeah, I mean, what what is it? And it was her Maggie and Friends. It's like a house band show and there's like four different artists and it was like 20 songs. She was like, yeah, the show's at 6.30. Mm -hmm. And I had heard like three of the songs in my whole life. Yeah. And the only question I asked her was like, does somebody have charts? And she was like, yeah, I think so. And I was like, I will do it. Yeah. <laughs> Put on my clothes, drove down to 3rd and Lindsley, load in. Saul's got some charts. Cool. Like, I'm just making some notes. And at 6.30, wow. the, the show happened. Not because of really anything I did, but I just, I had 
that tool available for me where like I could just be backstage before the show started, listen through real quick, make a couple notes, just make sure I'm good to go, have the iPad next to me, play the show. Cool. We're good to go. Yeah. So having that skill, again, like I said, it really collapses the preparation time because, I mean, truly, if you can read charts pretty well, you can do it in the moment. Right. Sometimes. Like yeah. you might be on stage hearing a song for the first time, but if you've got a pretty good chart in front of you, like you can just play the song and nobody will be the wiser. Yeah. How about a cool story? I see that happen downtown. I play with several groups down there and one of the guitarists I play with, shout out Mark French. Uh, that's my boy. He gave me a Christmas present yesterday. He came in and everyone down there, he gave, gave something. He gave me a... Some sandals, a, right? Yeah, some lobster, some lobster flip-flops. Oh yeah, Dude, that's, a, that's an let's inside go. joke for that band. <laughs> but, um, he went to MI and I'll, I've seen him, they'll pull up a song that he's, he doesn't know and he's like, uh, okay, uh, let, me, let me just check it out. And, he, and he'll actually, he'll read like a proper music, like a score. Oh, and, wow. And, and like, oh, there's a solo? Oh, okay, I'm like, I've realized, and this is, this is, I guess, obvious, but having skill in any domain essentially just allows you freedom in that domain. Like, so to abbreviate that, skill is freedom. Like, if you're, oh, yeah. he's he can play a song he's never heard because he's just going to, he's literally just going to sight read the whole damn thing. <laughs> that's incredible. Like, okay. Jeez. that's And I'm I'm like, I'm so far from that. I'm like, probably this year is a good time to lean into more of that for myself. Well, yeah, I mean, but to your credit, you're just super freaking talented. Like, you don't chart at all, right? No, I don't. Yeah. I, I really don't. <laughs> but, it's, but it's a pain in my yeah. ass also because there is a non-collapsed learning time. It's, it's, <laughs> I get that full. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll just... I'll just have this in my head and blah, 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 you know, play it on repeat and all that. I'm like, it would be even nice to not be stressed if I don't have that time to prepare. And right. you can instantaneously access that. I'm like, man, it's far from me. So, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. That's true. Oh, you know, this is a weird thing too with that. Like, if I were to say one thing to the universe, if anybody listens to this podcast, this is your billboard. Yeah. Like, it's okay to practice your instrument while not being at your instrument. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like totally. yeah. I, at least in the kind of professional realm, it's such a luxury to be able to prepare for a drum set gig without a drum set in the room. Yes. You know? So I, yeah, that has come up with me a lot just in my own kind of personal, um, practice of my instrument in my career is like, I just need to be able to do this stuff without, it in the room yeah. so that I can just sit down and be done on the gig, you know? Mm. Yeah. That was a huge topic with Tim Buell, of course, last episode. Yeah. Just being prepared before you, and, and not even just the physicality of drumming, but mm. everything else, whether yeah. it's an Ableton session or the click track or the transitions, in your case, like the charts or like preparing for those, those moments where like the band leader is going to call up someone you've rehearsed that, yeah. that yeah. very thing, you know? And I think too, I mean, obviously, everybody should be improving the like physical nature and the physical expression of their their instrument. Mm -hmm. But to do what we do in Nashville, chances are, if you're here and you are working, you're probably qualified on your instrument. So I think it's okay to expand beyond that and to start building those kind of ancillary yeah, techniques. Like, yeah. you know, it's okay to like maybe not shed that Instagram lick and go 
do a little bit of Ableton stuff. Do the, you know, it's the stuff that sucks to do. Yeah, boring um, sometimes. You know, yeah, yeah and, or like overly technical for certain, like, you know, it can be really difficult or even barrier of entry, like cost is a, an issue sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but to be able to get into those things, that too is practicing. Yes. That would be my affirmation. I love that. I love that, yeah. yeah like it is okay to do some of your training to learn how to make a triad. It's okay to fail to make a playback track in Ableton because you're practicing your instrument. Yes. This is also a professional environment too. We're asked to do a lot of other things other than just like me hit drum. Right. Yeah. Two and four. Yeah. I mean, I can speak to that for me in the last few weeks. I've really finally taken the dive and start, jumped into Logic Hell yeah. and started Hell programming yeah. tracks. Let's go. We should and, talk about that. Yeah, Let's go. We should. We should. We should. And, and I, the thing is, I bought it like, like a year ago. And I just, it was like, there. I don't know if you know about ADHD people, but they have something called the wall of mm. awful. And it's just like thinking of taking on a new thing mm. just feels impossible and so daunting and like... And you like you can't step into it super paralyzing and you don't even realize you're putting it off because of that. So I finally broke the wall of awful. I'm like, I'm gonna bring the laptop because I'm going on vacation, see my wife's family, and I'm that's what I'm bringing. I'm bring mm. I mean, I'll bring pads and or and, and sticks, but I'm my focus is gonna be on doing this thing. And in in just um, in a, a few hours of messing around with this thing, I finally like, oh I okay, I can make some cool synth sounds this way with alchemy and blah blah blah. Oh my God, so freeing. And then a few days of that and my, my literal ear is working differently. It's focused on different things and, and more, more things. It's like, I've broadened my musical horizons just by doing this thing. Like for a few days, mm -hmm. it doesn't take that long to get literate in that kind of thing. It's but true. just so starting just, with so the just hurdle. Do it. Yeah. Got past that. Yeah. yeah. And That's now cool. that yeah. you have some understanding of some of the musical material you're working with, now you have, you Right. It's like, you know, if you just bought a red car, you see red cars everywhere. Right. It's that kind of thing. It just, mm. I think is so powerful and it's so life changing. And when you open yourself up to things beyond the like physical expression of our instrument, I just, it's, that's where the cool stuff is for me. Oh, 100%. I love that though. I yeah. love that you did that. Yeah. Because now that you've done that, you're like, you know, you broke the seal on that experience and now you're able to just keep going. Right. And might I add, that in moments like that, if you know you have more walls like that, may I humbly suggest to everyone that they use that momentum and, and knock down a few more of those walls. Like, mm -hmm. okay, cool. Yeah, I really should learn. I've been thinking about learning, taking bass more seriously. Uh, yeah. Oh, you're programming things in Logic? Learn the bass lines you're programming in Logic. Duh. Boom. Easy second wall broken through. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Instant practice material. Instant, like, cross-training. Right. Musical cross-training, you know? Guarantee, if you keep going on that endeavor, the way that you play drums will be changed. Yes. It may not be tomorrow. It might be in mm. six months or two years. But the way that you approach the instrument, the things that you're listening to in songs, like your relationship with music and with other musicians will be changed yes. from that. And that's so powerful. How cool is that? Yeah, that's dude. Awesome, it's, yeah. it's been blowing my mind. Yeah. And the weird thing is like you end up, you do that and then you're like me and you've procrastinated on it so hard you go god why didn't i do this like five years ago or more yeah this is all available to me I don't know. yeah everybody just get out there and just that do mental it, block yeah. yeah 
want to go back to the Maggie story real quick mm. and playing with her too, more specifically. Such a fascinating story that you had allotted that, because we often talk about balance and like you had allotted that day to kind of just not do drums, just you need that time off, right? And we often also talk about saying yes to the gig because you never know what, you know, what the gig's going to lead to having that gumption to kind of use your preparedness and the theory. It's easy to, to just say like, oh, say yes to the gig. I really like that story because it's like a specific example of what gives you the confidence to say yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not just blindly saying yes. And maybe you would have still taken a gig without charts. I don't know. But like, it seemed like that was a big, yeah, I mean, big thing for you. Yeah, because I mean, you got, you know, actually less time before the sound check than there was music. You know what I mean? There was like uh, 90 minutes of music and one hour until sound check. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, how do you learn, you know, wh- what is the protocol there as a human being or as a <laughs> professional? Like there is no protocol. Like you just have to go and like be intuitive and do your thing. And the charts are obviously a huge crutch yeah. um, and are a huge help in that situation. But even if you don't, if you can't read charts, like, you know, developing your musical intuition especially like in the kind of pop sensibility of like what we do, you know, pop country, various shades of pop, whatever rock, like, you know, songs have certain forms and they kind of pull certain levers. And if the bridge is up, the first part of the course is probably down or vice versa. And so like, you know, you start to understand the material and the songs and kind of songwriting conventions and production techniques and stuff like that. And so if you've got good intuition and especially if you have a good relationship with whoever it is you're working with, yeah, that's sure. a huge, that will like mend a lot of ills in that situation. If you've got a great relationship with those people and they're like, Hey, we just need you to come in and do your thing. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of room for forgiveness there because they know you, they know you can do the job and they know it's a hard situation too. I mean, let's be real. I don't think anybody would have faulted anybody for showing up and having a hard time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, not to say like I didn't make a whole bunch of mistakes, but that helps kind of soothe things. Yeah. It's just relationships and having a good attitude and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's my Maggie Boss story. Love it. Yeah. Nice. Well, should we segue into, uh, you mentioned the home studio. That's kind of how we've we've been uh, definitely connected a a bunch through, you've been a great mentor still to this day about just, I've bought some mics from you and just talking about X, Y, overhead setups, whatever it is. I think the last question I had was about a a sub mic, a kick mic, which I haven't yet bought, but it's It's okay. It's in the mail, I know. My Sweetwater reps got an email (laughs) waiting for him. Yeah, I always really look forward. You do these cool end of the year posts, um, Mm. just kind of highlighting the sessions you played on. And I think, and your use of social media and brand and and your website, I think all that is phenomenal. Awesome. Thank you. So I want to get into all that. But yeah, you've definitely kind of made a very cool niche for yourself doing sessions from your house. Talk to us, like where all that started. And well, let me interview you. (laughs) How has it started for you? Oh, Oh. he's doing the Tim Buell approach. Yeah. What what were your first steps? I guess where it started, I was doing like YouTube drum covers since mm-hmm. middle school. So I was always recording myself, doing videos, just DIY, nothing with like drum mics or like sessions or anything, mm-hmm. but just recording content. Yeah. Yeah. Here I am trying to yeah. always level up. You know? Yeah. And so, you know, you have a, a passion for that because I, I think something I, I run into a lot, this is my kind of personal struggle and this is leads into how I started the studio was my kind of touring thing and not wanting to do a lot of that. Yeah. Um, I just don't think I enjoy being on the road. Yeah. And I, it took me a while to realize that. And the grand arc that got me to the starting line of me starting my studio was me being okay 
with saying no to road work because I felt like road work was the kind of clout magnet for, you know, that's the social currency of drummers in town for whatever reason. Back to like the Red Door combo. It's like, yeah, what do you play for? Yeah, who are you touring with? What's your gig? Uh, Myself. (laughs) I don't know. Like, Like, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a, it's probably pretty harmless generally, but yeah. the fact yeah. that that's the social currency, I think I felt really obligated to go on the road and do the thing and all that. And I, I've had an amazing time. It's, you know, I get to work with some really incredible people and I've had amazing experiences. But like February of 2020, did this amazing couple day thing with my girl Paige Rose, did a whole record uh, with a couple of my best friends over at Sound Emporium. And I was like, oh, dude, this is... I think I need to be doing this. Yeah. And so I like... That was right during the start of the pandemic too. It was like six weeks before. So I like had kind of put on my mood board. I was like, hey, 2020, this is the year of the home studio. I think I'm going to do it. You know, and like I had some other stuff going on and I've been playing with Haley and Michaels and they were like, hey, we're going to go to the UK. And like, you know, so I was like, oh, well, there's this touring opportunity. Maybe I need to go like think about that. Um, And then the world made the decision for me. Yeah. And I realized probably two months into the pandemic that I was, I did not miss being gone. I liked being at home yeah. a lot. <laughs> and I was like looking at all these Instagram posts of guys being like, I'm dying in here. I need to get back on the road this right. second. I'm <laughs> going to go crazy. And I was like, I, this is a new chapter is, for you. I was like, Hey, this is great. I, I'm yeah. going to design my life around being home. This was cool. I liked just the way that I felt better. Yeah, you know, you had that control. I'm sure that was probably enjoyable. Yeah, you weren't relying on artists and dates and traveling to yeah. the next city. It's yeah, and I just I don't know. Touring's kind of a young man's game. Not like I'm old, but you know, I'm not Andrew Grasso. I'm not 23 and ready to just leave for nine months at a time. Yeah. And like I just got married in October. Like I would love to be home and enjoy my new marriage with yes. my incredible wife. Like that, I would love to do that <laughs> yeah, instead man. of just being yeah. like cram my wedding in and then you know the next week be like hey sorry honey i gotta go to asia (laughs) (laughs) you know you know maybe it'd be cool but it's not for me yeah um 100 agree yeah and so very fortunate my absolute best friend in the entire universe is a huge gearhead incredible producer out in la i've known him for years and i was like hey man i think i'm gonna i'm gonna make my home studio like i think i'm gonna finally do it and he was like great and so for like two months we were like researching stuff like okay what interfaces and he's like hunting for deals and like getting all these mics and stuff and he gets in a car from la drives out to nashville in june of 2020 and we set up my home studio what a friend well he's the best man at my wedding he's like okay he's one of my ride or dies (laughs) that's awesome yeah were you building from scratch at this point like you had nothing zero mics or just zero because i've seen i've been to your space and it's legit it's just because yeah. I painted it. It looks yeah. nice. <laughs> it looks nice in there. Yeah, um, yeah. I, did, I had zero things. I had an interface that I was using to run playback, but had two preamps on it and zero skills. Like I had never run Pro Tools. I owned Logic, but had never done anything. So like truly, not even day one. I was like day zero. I was like googling what is a cardioid pattern. Wow. What is a condenser? I didn't I, realize it. Was, that's insane. Yeah. Like I was just sitting on my couch in, I guess it was probably like April of 2020. And just like, what is polarity? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What does it mean to be out of phase? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. all those like terms that everybody, all the engineering types like take yeah. for granted. So yeah, I mean, truly day zero, like just, um, yeah, you know, and he's like, oh yeah, you know, I got you. Like, we're going to get you some ribbons for overheads. And I'm like, what is a ribbon? 
Oh. Yeah. You know, like yeah. just stuff like that. And But I knew that I wanted to be creative and I, I like the act of creating something new. Mm. That was something that had gone back to yeah. like my grad school days because I was like all chamber music. Like I'm going to commission composers. I want to make new stuff and I want to be like living in the musical moment instead of living in the like old dead white guy past because mm. like, you know, that system is set up to honor the 19th century, but we're living in the 21st. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> that all kind of came together and I was like, I want to be creating. I want to be doing new stuff. Playing covers is cool. Have a great time. Awesome. Going on the road. Cool. Love it. That's the 15th McDonald's I've seen on this drive. Yeah. Love it. We're having a great time, but getting to be creative and getting to work with other people in that kind of collaborative environment, that would, that's what kind of drove, or that I think is really bubbled up now Yeah. Um, after the initial like wave of just being like, I don't need to tour anymore. Yeah. Like I don't have to do it if I don't want to. Yeah. So yeah, lots of Googling, lots of asking friends. Like I knew a couple of engineers and I'd be like, Hey, like how many preamps do I need? What is a preamp again? Okay, cool. Yeah, I got it. Thanks. Like, that's kind of where I started. That's really inspiring. I didn't even know that. Like, when I first met you, I think because of the level you were at, I just assumed that, oh, this guy's been doing it for a while. Smoke Little mirrors, did I know, it was like a year earlier or whatever. Like, you were just figuring it out. Smoke and mirrors. That's crazy. Instagram, I, yeah. Man. Yeah, because, I mean, now, I mean, and let's get into this, because, like, you're not just recording drums. You've kind of been... I feel like acting more as like a producer, like you are also delivering stems and, and mix downs and also kind of helping to deliver a very usable part of the song, right? Like you're not just throwing down yeah. samples and say, good luck. Like Yeah. The way that I kind of approach that workflow is I think if I hear it in the song, I'm going to put it down. And I, there's a wall there. Like, I'm not going to put in, like, keys, tracks, and stuff like that. But, like, if there's something that I've got, like, in a sample library, even if it's not just drums, I'm going to put it in there. Yeah. You know, and I, I think of myself more as producing the drum element, the rhythm track, more than just, like, I am the session drummer. So mm. my my role, I think, has a slightly larger kind of balloon. Mm on it and I do kind of want to pivot more into production on certain tracks like I'm not doing full-blown production yet but I'd love to mm. I aspire to do that maybe that should be on my 2023 mood board but for now I just want to be established as you know somebody that people know that they can come to you've got a song you want to release it come to me I'll put drums on it I will try my best to make your song yeah, at least man. a little bit better dude yeah all the stuff I've heard has been stellar so Thanks, kudos Talk us through that next step then, because like you built a studio, you've got, you know, you're obviously still learning how to do everything. But then how did the gigs kind of start coming in? Were you kind of utilizing some of those touring connections? You know, I didn't you know? explicitly utilize touring connections. Like I wasn't yeah. hitting up, although I guess I kind of was. You know, it helps to have, again, like I was saying, like it helps to have a little bit of clout. Like, I don't know, however you choose <laughs> to build that. Fortunately, I'd been working for a couple of years. And so like I'd known... I knew a couple of people. I knew some producer types. I knew some songwriters. I'd even done some songwriting back in the day. So you weren't new to Nashville, which is probably a huge right. Thing. You were new to the session thing, but you yeah. Were so I was a, kind of pivoting. I was yeah. basically two and a half years in, mm-hmm. and so I was kind of doing what at the time I thought was going to be a soft pivot, and has now become a very hard pivot. But you know, I think all of us can think right now of like two or three producer or songwriter types that we know. Even beyond just like artists, because we all know plenty of artists. We play for them. But, you know, thinking of your artist friends, thinking of the couple of friends you know who are songwriters or who do some amount of production, any amount of production, that's where I started. So I knew 
you know, a handful of writers in town. And I was like, hey, I'm doing this thing. Like, send me a demo. Like, I'm just trying to get set up. Like, no strings attached. I don't need to get paid. Help me dial in my workflow. Help me learn Pro Tools shortcuts. Like, (laughs) I mean, again, day zero stuff. Like, I needed to learn how to time drums. I needed to learn all of those things. And so I just started reaching out to the couple people I knew and you know, again, those relationships. I had a couple people come back and be like, yeah, like, hey, I've got, here's five demos. Like, we were thinking about putting drums on them. Like, just go ahead and take them. Just, I don't know, whenever you're done, send them back. Yeah. Honestly, the drums probably sucked. Like, <laughs> you know, that first step of me just getting in the door and me building a little bit of confidence to just, you know, once you do it a couple of times, you know, and you're just like, oh, yeah, all right, I see where this is going. Yeah. You know, and just those little baby steps gave me just that little bit of confidence. And then finally, when somebody was like, hey, I've got a track for you, I'm going to release it next month. Can you play on it? I was like, here we go. Yeah, I'm good buddy. to go. I think I'm good. And, you know, I'm like, in, I'm recording and I'm like, I've got Lennon, my LA buddy on the phone. I'm like, hey, man, am I doing this right? Hey, can I send this to you real quick? Can you just tell me how it sounds? Like, yeah. Um, yeah, just getting across the finish line. And from there, like a lot of other things that we do, once you do it well once, then the second time comes and you just have to convert on the opportunity. And then as it continues to roll, it's a snowball. Yeah, man. I love that. Did you ever have some setbacks during that process or times where you're like, yeah, I'm definitely interested in this thing, but I don't think I'm, you know, I'm hitting this wall or it's, and maybe this is where the music theory academia background helped you. Mm. It's like, I can just power through it and learn something mm. new. Cause I know a lot of guys, it's just so daunting to learn those skills. And it's just like, it's very easy to just say, well, this is not, maybe I'm not cut out for it. Yeah. You know? I think making that progress measurable and this is a teaching philosophy I practice with my students. There's no amount of information that's too small to be covered. Mm. So, Let's take a giant topic like compression. <laughs> 10 different kinds of compressors out there. You know, again, jargon, opto, very mute, whatever. I'm going to let all of that go for today. I'm yeah. just going to, I'm going to Google about compressors. What is the threshold? Let me go think about that for a little while. Let me go goof around with that. And so as far as like literal setbacks of being like, I don't think I'm ever going to get this done. I think that all every day. Yeah. <laughs> All the time. Dude, yeah. I mean, these topics are massive. And when I go into a professionally engineered session and have a real engineer do stuff, I'm like, how am I ever supposed to do this? I just had a session over in 1979, not that long ago. And Jeremy was just like, I mean, I don't think I've ever heard anything sound like that in my life. I'm like, you expect, like, I, maybe someday I'll get there, but all the time crippling yeah. anxiety about whether or not I'll be able to like successfully print compression. Okay, good. That was the right answer I was looking for. Yeah, no, yeah. all the time. <laughs> if it wasn't daily, I don't want to hear it. No, yeah, yeah like, <laughs> yeah, all the time. I'm like, can I, will I ever understand these things and be able to confidently use them? I mean, I hope so. I love that mindset. The compression is such a good example because it's like, that's a big topic. And nowadays you can watch a million YouTube videos and TikTok and whatever. Right. But let's just like break it down, like just the the one knob on a compressor. Yeah. You I, know? And that approach, What does the attack and release? What it, does just that part do? It helps me so much to digest large amounts of information or complex information. And that can be applied to anything. I mean, it can be applied to obviously the drumming practice, like... Um, there's no amount of information too small to be learned or to be focused on. And so if there's a big topic that I'm looking at, you know, I'm just going to 
go to school on one topic or one one mm. micro aspect of it for however long it takes for me to feel like, okay, I think I know what's going on here. And then I can start to see some of the bigger picture as I start to then maybe link that to another small topic. And yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, now I see where those are colliding. And they keep kind of colliding with this third topic over here. So maybe I should go look at that thing next. Mm-hmm. Um, again, my I think kind of engineering kind of brain, my, yeah. my dad's brain, I think is like really firing in that moment where I'm like trying to piece together these like complex systems in that way. Um, totally. That's kind of my approach. It keeps cool. coming back to that same thing that you said. Every step of this interview has been this continual thing, like what you were referencing when you said journey of a thousand miles. You're all about taking the single step. You're doing the single step every single day. Dude, Dude. that single step is great, man. It feels good to move. I love that. And so you'd be amazed at, you know, if you just take a couple and if you just kind of string some of them together and you look back and you're like, oh, hey, look at how far I've come. I had no idea. I mean, you you are speaking so elegantly of my like accomplishments as a studio guy. I feel like I've done nothing. But when I look, <laughs> how do you think I feel? That? <laughs> dude, you're crushing it, man. That's you're, nothing that, okay. dude, you're on the path. I'm, I just yeah. happen to be, I just happen to have started my path a little earlier than you. That's the yeah. only that's, difference. That's just it. We're all on our own. I mean, it's so easy to have that comparison. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Especially yeah. with social media, you see everyone that's, they're probably 10 years ahead of you, but you don't see that. You yeah. don't know that context. Yeah. So. That was, you go back to the classical stuff. So Bob Van Sice at Yale, first time I'd ever heard a teacher put it this way. Because Bob, speaking of Dr. Norton, like freak generational, like you know, I know you've Bob, seen yeah. you've seen the Yale videos. <laughs> He's an Adams Pearl guy. Oh, yeah. dude, yeah. And so when I did my audition at Yale, he was like walking us around campus, and he was like, "Yeah, you know, it's a very collegial atmosphere here with, with me and all my students. You know, I'm really, I just happen to have started my journey earlier than they did." That's the only difference between me and them. Mm. And I was like, that's a, I mean, that, that mindset struck me so much. We were standing right outside of their library and I was like, what? And that, that totally turned everything on its head for me about progression, where we're at in life and all that stuff. Like Mm. I may have started my studio career 365 days before you did. That just means that I'm just, you know, by time a little bit further ahead. Um, yeah. Or a little bit further down the road is really all it is. And yeah, that's a great there's no There's no reason to compare the two of us because you're going to be successful. You are successful. I think it's because we, we share the same name. That's probably why. Yeah, probably. God damn it. You're like, dang, I'm the second best Dan <laughs> in this room. Yeah. No, man. We're... No, it's okay. I'll go by Danny now. So then <laughs> how to differentiate. You weren't born a Danny, so you can't be a Danny. You don't know that, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, what's your middle name again? It's Aaron. Aaron. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I can see you going by Aaron. Yeah. A-A-R-O-N. Yeah. A-A-R-O-N. Yeah. What's your middle name? Michael. What's your middle name? Alexander. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, see you later. <laughs> this middle name segment has been yeah, sponsored by Daddy's Dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to the Nashville Middle Name I just, Podcast. I, I, was just, I was just imagining what you would be like if you just suddenly, because I've known several people to change in the middle of their life to go, you know what? I'm going by my middle name now. Yeah. I was just imagining what you would be if you went by uh, Aaron. Hmm. What would your life be like? Not as cool. I love Dan is a dope name. Yeah, it's yeah. a great name. I think it's pretty legit. Multiple of my best friends are named Dan. Aw. Yeah. I don't think I've ever met a bad Dan. Yeah. Right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's definitely like an evil Jeremy out there, but I don't think I've ever met a bad Dan. Yeah. Evil Jeremy. You know what? <laughs> 
<laughs> I met plenty of neurological mates, whatever that means. Oh. I'm just trying to make a double and and never never mind. Never do <laughs> I don't that. Know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my, one, one of my best friends is a, is a, an evil Jeremy. Oh wow! Well, neutral. Yeah, yeah. Chaotic neutral. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love that. Serving the Nashville, Brentwood, and Franklin areas, Music Lab Nashville offers comprehensive hands-on music lessons in contemporary techniques and styles. Students learn from the most qualified instructors in state-of-the-art practice and performance settings. All ages, all styles, all levels. Visit nashville.musiclab.co to learn more and to sign up for a free trial lesson. If you string enough of those steps together, and I do, I do this all the time too. Again, speaking of like crippling anxiety about my future, I will think for a second and be like, "Oh, look at where I just came from," because I think about those days on the couch with logic. I didn't even have Pro Tools yet, yeah. but I, I was doing exactly what you were doing. I was just like, I don't know, like, "Hey, Lennon, send me some stems from a song that you produced. Let me like." goof with stuff and just sitting on the couch with my headphones on and just being like, I don't know, maybe if I move this knob, something cool will happen. Um, and now I have like a handful of people who hire me on the reg and I'm able to like string a couple things together. And it's cool. That development is wild. I didn't have a studio really. Like I should show you the, I wish I had pictures of the old room that I was in. It's just like a bedroom on the yeah. back of my house with no door on it. <laughs> um, and the transition from that bland, dumb room with no purpose to what it's turned into uh, has been just cool to see. And I get to reminisce on that every once in a while and be comforted that, like, I am making progress. Yeah, you know? totally. And I think we can all do that, surely. Like, I think you can look back on your recording techniques. I'm sure if you look back at some of your videos, like even from when you were like 13, you can go for the low hanging fruit. That's totally cool. hundred percent. Even from me in Nashville, I've seen that in progress. Totally. And like the quality of your videos and the quality of your playing, Mm -hmm. those things come up all the time. And I'm sure you're the same way. Like you get the GoPro footage back from your gig and you're like, damn, I'm I'm slamming today. Once in a while. Usually I'm like, oh man, (laughs) (laughs) messed up my inverted paradiddle. Yeah. Yeah. I actually posted one from last night. I was like, I think that was pretty good. And I watched it today. I was like, it was okay. It was okay. I'll post it anyway. But yeah. but yeah. if you were, to, I don't know if you have any videos of like when you first came to town, I'm sure the contrast would be bigger than you think. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. Yeah, it's easy to not see that growth happening. Yeah. You're like, wait a minute. It's helpful when you have friends who can be like, no, dude, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Like, I can see the difference. I love a being myself in that sense. Mm. I was weird. I was sitting on the couch last night and somehow a video from 2015 popped up like in one of my like iCloud files or whatever when I was first starting to like try to gig and I was like transitioning out of like being a classical music kid and like trying to like play some country stuff and just like I didn't even have the sound on, but just watching me play, I could tell that I looked so uncomfortable. Mm. And that I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. And then when I was sending you videos today, I was looking at one from 2019, which is like the last time I really did like a, you know, a drum cam from like a live show. And I was like, damn, I was slamming. Yeah. And so to have those two things side by side, I was like, okay, I am making progress. I can feel okay about myself. Yeah. Mm. It is beneficial to AB, but then to use that as fuel to your point to then take that to the, okay, one more baby step, one more milestone oh yeah but you have to go backwards to see that and then okay next yeah right that's like the monster energy drink of your 
your journey, you know, like you get that kick yeah. of just like, oh yeah, I can do that. Like, let's go. Yeah. Now you can show up tomorrow and like play that one lick, one BPM faster, or you can yes. turn that one knob on your compressor and be like, okay, yeah, I'm really dialing in the tone here. <laughs> you know, gives you that mindset of like growth and innovation and inspiration. Yeah, oh, man. man. This yeah. conversation is exactly what I needed today. Dude, this let's is, go. This, yes. I love it when that Dude, yeah. happens here doing this. And we, yeah. You know, yeah. you know what I, where I can see it from me is from doing this, both from doing this podcast and playing on Broadway and then getting on the mic on Broadway, I've gone from at the onset of this thing, every time we're doing this, I'm so nervous. Mm. I'm like coming in, I'm like, I'm trying not to be, I'm trying to like allow myself to just be relaxed in it. And I'll even, I would even purposefully under prepare in, in order that I would be like, I can't stress about it because I'm not going to think about it. Mm-hmm. But now I'm in a place where, and I've told Dan this, I actually get excited about Spoiler alert, this year we're going to try to do some live events and clinics and all that good stuff. Oh. Information to come. Ooh. Uh, I get excited about getting on the mic and being like, hey, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. But like, And just yeah. be like, that would have given me palpitations a year ago. Oh, that'd be great. Be awesome. Like a bunch of my buddies in the room. Yeah. Like, this is great. Why, yeah. I, why don't I always feel like that? Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. yeah. And I think somebody's Everest is maybe somebody's molehill. Like that might be a mm. huge thing for you. Like yeah. you might be fucking terrified of public speaking, yeah. but somebody else is like naturally, you know, attuned to it. And I think when it comes to imposter syndrome, like I think we disregard, we mm. assume that we're all on an equal playing field in all sense. That's good. In yeah, all like, settings. But totally. like, yeah. you know, you might be really good at like something that I am naturally terrible at and so if i look at you and you know your natural ability at this one thing and i'm like oh well yeah you know clearly i suck well i might just have to work a little harder or work a little longer but as long as i just work as long as i get the work done like i will improve yes you can get better yeah that's just bottom line you can just become better and that's all just put just focus on that take that one step are you familiar with toastmasters i've heard that name yeah it's like aa for public speaking yes okay somebody's funny about this um, recently yeah, I love you sharing that story. I don't even know if I've heard you say that. Like we've talked about like that we both have become more comfortable speaking yeah. through the podcast, but I didn't realize that you maybe purposely didn't prepare because it forced you not to overthink it. Yes. That's cool. Now that you're like kind of getting beyond that. Yeah. I, I, I mean. Know? And same with me. But I was going to say like we, when we I, first met. And we, I can tell the difference in, in yeah. you when I, wa- I watch <laughs> That's it. Awesome. I, can yeah. see, I can see how much more comfortable you are. And yeah. It makes me happy every time. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because you should be. Yeah, because you're awesome, (laughs) super capable, and handsome. You got great hair. Oh, I appreciate it. I don't know if it was before the podcast started or it was like right the early beginnings. Remember, we talked about going to Toastmasters. Yes, with even with some other drummer buddies, and like we wanted to get better at public speaking. Yeah, and now it's like, I mean, we're still getting better, but it's like this has kind of been therapeutic in that sense. I don't know if I, and I have done Toastmasters in a previous setting when I was living in Indianapolis, Mm. but my point is I don't think I need it now. Like this is kind of helping me through that. So, and I think pretty cool. The broader lesson from that is what you did for yourself was you set up a safe environment for yourself to learn in, Mm -hmm. you know, because you're sitting here with one of your good friends, you're hanging out with dudes you already know before the, the stakes are incredibly low. Yeah. You know, learning, like, you will not learn if you're not in a safe environment. Like, if you feel threatened by somebody else in the room or by the way that information is being presented or even by yourself, like, you're not going to learn. So setting up those safe environments is huge. And that's how I crossed those hurdles early on with 
you know, all the recording stuff was I was just like, you know, there were no stakes on the table. Yeah. Like I had no skin in the game. I was a dude with a set of Sennheiser headphones and an old MacBook sitting on the couch after I just sanitized all of my Trader Joe's groceries. <laughs> Man, I remember what a time that what was. A, what yeah. a time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was just, you know, like, okay, cool. Like, I'm going to put an EQ on here. Oh, it sounds... I don't know. Does, I, maybe it sounds good. I don't know. Yeah. Hold on. I guess I'll send this off to my buddy and see what they think. Yeah. You know, and just creating some of those environments and those opportunities just to grow for my within my own space before kind of launching that product to the world. Because mm -hmm. when I started, I didn't make it like public. I told the couple of people that I was kind of asking around, like, hey, I'm going to do this thing. But I told nobody. Mm -hmm. And I gave myself... I started it, started my studio, did my first track in June of 2020. I didn't tell anybody about it until April mm -hmm. of 21. And that's when I like did my Instagram rebrand and like kind of launched myself as a studio guy. Cause I, at that point I was like, I feel confident. I like what I'm doing. Let me now go change the conversation about myself. And that yeah. was then the next kind of like phase of my, you know, development that, that aspect was I didn't want people to think about me as touring guy and I wanted them to think about me as studio guy. And I wouldn't have had that confidence <laughs> if I hadn't set up that kind of environment for me to just experiment. Yeah. Dude, I love that. That's such a smart approach that you did. And this has come up before. I'm thinking back to like Taylor Prius of just not shouting to the world that you're doing a thing, but like waiting and in your case being like really prepared and being able to control that narrative. Like even if you were starting your studio, you weren't quite ready to kind of brand yourself as like a session drummer. But then when you were ready, it wasn't just like, oh, I have microphones. It's, no, I'm ready professionally to mm -hmm. do this for you. Yeah, yeah, and I really wanted to embrace that challenge and that pivot. And I wanted to professionally, like as a business person, I want to like kind of hold it in your face and be like, here's what I do. Yeah. I want to do this. Please give me your stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I felt confident enough to go do that. And I think there's a lot of, you know, power and quiet work you know just yeah. don't don't tell anybody don't put it on instagram that's okay yeah do the work for yourself and for your own benefit and don't let anybody know what you're up to creativity is often a really messy process it probably yeah. makes for really bad content some of your best like shed sessions or whatever probably sound really weird yeah yeah like embrace that and just do the quiet work you know like it's okay to to not i mean it's instagram that's the pressure that we put ourselves in as professionals and stuff. But it's okay to do do that work and just let it be for yourself. Yes. Not to mention there's an added benefit to that because it's kind of like when you have done the quiet work hard enough, smart enough, for long enough, and then you get to present it, it's almost like you can hit someone with a haymaker while their defenses are totally down, which for yes. me— like being such a practice freak and being off on my own and just really being a nerd about getting better on the drums and then not doing any kind of networking and showing up and playing somewhere and having people go, Hey, who the fuck are you? <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, who are you playing? I'm like, I'm not playing for anybody. Like what, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. I just like sell hot dogs and, and fucking cross drums. Yeah, and that, that's yeah. what I do. Like, let me get your number. <laughs> That's, it's a benefit. Sometimes it's a benefit to go like being totally silent and unknown. No one even knows you're up to this thing at all. And then you just go, hey, guess what? 
So true. And those first impressions are so key too, right? It's incredibly powerful. And so, you know, instead of like broadcasting your incremental improvement, which is incredible, like, yes, please like embrace and celebrate your improvements. But instead of like, you know, every day posting your chop sesh or whatever, like it just becomes noise at some point for people. And so, yeah, if you don't like just, you know, don't let anybody see it for a little while. And yeah, like on the next gig and maybe a month later, you like something about the way that you are approaching your musicality might just be different and like they'll feel it yes. and when it's in the room and they feel that difference they're like this is our dude and then they call you again yeah yeah we could have a whole separate round table about that in like social media and all that which we should we should do you know uh kyle may nashville session guy as well um oh yeah yeah yeah. I've, uh, yeah i met him at an improv event actually oh no way yeah. wait like, improv uh, comedy he just yeah he does some improv um oh, okay. Wait, I, I didn't no 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 okay. I was, <laughs> I was like, so my my brother-in-law does does a lot of improv okay kyle i think does some but he was just attending but then weirdly enough our wives did yoga teacher training together a couple of years ago oh, wow. oh so i have not actually really gotten to hang with kyle yet yeah but um our wives know each other and we it's funny run into each other. small world yeah i don't know him i might have messaged him a few times on instagram but I'll just preface this like I'm in no way bashing him because he's, I think, getting some of the best tones and mm-hmm. content that I've seen. Oh, yeah. Forget Nashville, just online, anywhere. Like he's absolutely crushing it. But he's posting every single day. Mm-hmm. It's like, one, how are you doing that? Like props to you for figuring that out, time yeah. management. But also it's an interesting discussion because I feel like kind of a little bit of devil's advocate to what we just said. Maybe he's an example. And maybe it's just like the few rare people that can somehow do both. We're like... We're going to have to have him on and ask him. Yeah, mm-hmm. we definitely will yeah, have him on. Him and I think he's a yeah. super dope guy. But yeah, it's interesting. Like he's... You, you guys probably see his videos. Like it's mm-hmm. really good stuff. But to your point too, at a certain point, like every single day, am I maybe passively just scrolling versus like... I think I just saw a video from you today or yesterday. And I know that you're someone that doesn't post every day. So I'm like, oh... Dan's sharing something. This is probably quality. Listen up, kids. Quality over quantity, right? Yeah. So, yeah, it's, I don't know. I'm not, I'm just saying it's interesting. I don't have like a, an answer to all that. But yeah. And obviously that I scales. Can work. I yeah. think it scales to your ambitions with social totally. media and stuff. Yeah. And like my audience is not the algorithm. My audience is you guys and it's right. producers and it's writers. And yeah. so that having that really focused audience and maybe Kyle's audience and his, his kind of target and goal is algorithm fame, you know, yeah. and I, that requires a different kind of game plan. Um, and that's a good point too. Who your audience is? Yeah, and, and like what, maybe what are your, what's doing, your end goal? If, you, if you're yeah. doing a lot of remote sessions, then you yeah. need to be an online presence. Versus like we're doing more local sessions, and it's not as important. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's something that uh, my friend Mason Goodry was telling me. He said to me years and years ago. He's like, "Yeah, you don't have a big following." He's like, "But everybody who's following you is like legit." Yeah. Like I was like, "Yeah, you're right." I'm, there's a bu- <laughs> a, bu- a bunch of people that are following me that I'm like. Damn, I can't believe they're following me. That's cool. Yeah. All right. That's that's I'm okay with that. I still do see people who like have that that social media boom and I go, I would like that from that. Yeah, it might for be me. kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. Why I mean that could probably I, I don't see how it could hurt yeah. my career. Maybe I'll fuck around and find out. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? I don't know though, but maybe maybe it would hurt me. Maybe I, I mean, don't the yeah. thing about social media is it's like kind of like a full-time job. I mean, yeah. you know, being a marketing guy, you probably know this. Yeah. Taking, making content <laughs> takes time. Like, oh my God. Yeah. Know, that's just it. It's time away from pursuing whatever else you want to pursue. Learning that compressor, you know? Yeah. Or just, <laughs> I don't know, sitting on the couch and 
you know, we're watching Veggie Tales. Yeah, for the fourth time, uh, dude, this week. <laughs> Honestly, Rick and Morty. I mean, <laughs> hey, self care comes in all shapes and sizes, man. Yeah, man. Well, I feel like being a drummer in Nashville, you know, you kind of have to be pretty versatile. You know, whether you're playing country on Broadway or playing rock. Talk about just like what your styles are or kind of who your influences are. Yeah. Um, yeah, the path has been so funny because of all the classical music stuff. You know, I missed those crucial years between 18 and 22 where all I did was play as fast as I could, as loud as I could, and as technically as I could. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I came back to playing drums... I think I just had this different mindset. I was also just like <laughs> scared of having to like go back and try to relearn some of that stuff because mm. um, it just seemed like too much. And I was getting really into like Al Jackson Jr. Like at the time that I was like moving back to Nashville, I was like in this like Stax phase where I was just listening to a lot of Stax stuff. And that was like my kind of soft landing back into like being a drummer was like, let me put on this Gladys Knight tune. Wow. Which is, we I don't know how I ended up going down that rabbit hole. <laughs> but that was kind of my soft landing back into it. I would say like overarching influences, like grew up loving John Bonham. I mean, who didn't? Um, huge, huge thing for Steve Jordan. Uh, the Groove is Back. I mean, is probably gold-plated on my wall. Um <laughs> Obviously, Aaron Sterling is a big influence as far as like workflow and I think creatively, like how he can push the boundaries within like a very like regimented kind of pop structure, I think is really cool. Um, But lately, I've been geeking out over Jerry Rowe. Oh, yeah. Like big time because Jordan Rowe, who I play for, Jerry does all those drum tracks. And so I'm just learning Jerry's parts all the time and playing them. And I'm like, this stuff is cool. Yeah. It is different and it is fun and you don't even really know it until you're kind of in it and you're like, this hi-hat thing over here. Uh, oh, it makes a lot of sense, but it's also, I don't think I've ever had to do that in my life. Yeah. Mm. So do you know cool. Jerry personally? No, I don't. I, that's on my list of, that's yeah. on my mood board of people to reach out to this year. Yeah. Just, yeah, he just seems like a cool guy and uh, I think his approach to the genre is really interesting. We ought to get him on. Yeah. He seems like an interesting Oh, dude, I bet he would show up. Because I've was, i been kind of like blast. dissecting just me being still relatively new here, even new to country music especially. I've been kind of just like dissecting studio drum parts. and like, mm-hmm. Isn't Jerry Rowe on the, uh, was he on some of the Morgan Wallen stuff? Oh, he's all over it, yeah. Which is, it, okay. It, yeah, so then it's, like, it's not Joey Moy programming it, which I don't know how much programming he did on yeah, that, but it kind of sounds... Or Tacos, he's Mark is the live drummer. I know that. Yeah, I don't. From I'm not sure how much he plays on. I think it's mostly Jerry. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah. I mean, if you look at Jerry's drumming, like he's it's like not any of that simple groove stuff on the sessions. He's like a really he's, he's, like, a, he's he, playing complex time signatures mm-hmm. and far fetched stuff. He takes some very technical things and he makes them sound very simple. That is <laughs> that's my favorite thing. <laughs> I mean, there, there is nothing that I love better than yeah. to do that finding a song either i'm recording or playing downtown it's best if, if i can do it on a recording then i'm like oh yeah yeah I it's snuck it it's by in you. stone yeah you can't change <laughs> ever it's released yeah but well, you're I, getting I'm, royalties on my like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and listen to what i was doing i displaced and you just i'm responsible for your mailbox money <laughs> <laughs> but that's like there's nothing i like better than to make something really difficult to do 
very accessible. When I think of something like that, I think of like Vinny. Yeah. Vinny Caliuta is just like, he was the king of that. Yeah. He's doing shit that was so technical mm-hmm. and really, really oddball and making it be like, oh, that actually just works incredibly well and just made the pocket deeper. Yeah. That's like, if I can just sit in a zone, that's the zone that I want to stay in <laughs> yeah. all of the time. My favorite example of that, which is so dumb, but when I somebody told me this, I was like, oh my God, Abe Laboreal Jr. playing oh. on a Vanessa Carlton song, oh. Thousand Miles. Yes. The One of my favorite hats. recorded drum tracks yes. ever. The Hi-Hats. Yeah. Top 40 this, tune, oh mega God, generational yes. smash. Those yep. drums are wild. I'm so glad you mentioned that because the day I heard that song, I was... I probably was pretty young. I was like, you don't hear drums like that. I Pop music, mm-hmm. yeah. charting, like it's, it's all stripped down. Yeah, that song specifically. Yep. Freaking wow. Abe, dude. dude. Oh my God. And like, yeah, it obviously speaks to He's like monster. technical. Yeah. He did technical Paul McCartney stuff and, live too, right? Oh yeah. Forever. He's, He's and he like sings t- too when he does that. Yeah. Just a total beast, yeah. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh. Some of those. I've heard that. I'm listening to that song tonight, probably. Dude, get down. (laughs) I'm I'm going to listen to that the moment I get in the car (laughs) after this. After this is done, that's the first thing that's happening. Making my way downtown, walking fast, faces pass, and I'm homebound. Staring blankly ahead, just making my way, making a way. Real talk, though, as a drummer, I feel like woefully underprepared on like certain technical things like now that the olivia rodrigo stuff is coming back i get more like hey can you play like this kind of travis barker thing over here yeah that's when i'm like oh man Hmm. hold on how soon do you need this track (laughs) do you mind (laughs) if i require some practice yeah do you mind if i shed this lick here for a little while because i mean it's been a while since i've been 13 Yeah, yeah you know and I, again, I missed those years where I, all I did was just practice crazy stuff. Yeah. That's a huge like blind spot for me. That's maybe should also be on my mood board. Yeah. This is a big mood board. I need to get a, you've, you've mentioned mood board a few times. What is that exactly? Yeah. What does that is look it like just, for you? Is it a literal, uh, yeah. like a whiteboard or is it like I, a, actually, I don't actually make mood okay. boards, but um, <laughs> I know people that do. It's usually like, you know, you put you up have the proverbial mood board in here. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's a cerebral mood board, yeah. but you know, you obviously like you make your news resolutions and you like itemize them. You know, it's like, I'm going to lose 15 pounds and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. But with a mood board, it's more of a kind of visual kind of nebulous. It's like a word cloud almost where like, Mm. instead of being like, I'm going to get 10 K TikTok followers, you are just posting like inspiring images of you playing shows and, or of you. It's more a kind of nebulous, a mood. So it's Pinterest. Yeah, it's like putting together a Pinterest board. <laughs> okay. I've actually never done one of these, so yeah. I could be talking out of my ass. I gotcha. But that's cool. But yeah. it's 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 the thing to keep those ideas in a general way on your mind. Yes. That's yeah, that's great. Yeah. And it's less like action driven and it's more just like inspirational, kind of affirmative. Right. Um, without yeah. the onus of like, oh well I lost ten pounds and I didn't lose fifteen, so I failed. Right. Yeah. You know. I did that with a word for a couple of years, just a, just a single word or idea. Uh, like one year it was like, the idea was just finish what you start. That was it. Mm. I read a lot of books that Dude, year. That was great. That was let's a fun go. Year. That's amazing. That's just like, that's mood board mm-hmm. smacks to me as, as the same kind of idea. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah. here are my items that I just kind of want to have in my brain. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Mine for many years now has been don't be lazy. Mm-hmm. Whenever I'm thinking about like, especially like professionally, like if I'm like, oh, I don't want to make that chart or like, oh man, I got to go do this thing. Don't be lazy. And whatever it is, it just like snaps me into go mode. Mm. Yeah. I don't know why. That's cool. Yeah. Cause it's so, it's like we're told to just, yeah, like make those smart goals, right? I want to get 10 sessions this year. Then like, oh, I only got eight. So I sucked. Yeah. yeah. Versus like the word is more sessions. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Just more. Right. And you were talking earlier, or like, just create, you know, right? so many things are out of your control, especially like if you're trying to be a studio guy or if you want to be a gigging guy or whatever, yeah. like a lot of those decisions are out of your control. Like you just have to go in with mindset of, you know, your approach to the job or your approach to playing or however you want to do it. I think relieving yourself of some of that, I think that helps like alleviate some FOMO too. Yes. You know, that's been a huge thing for me. Realizing where you are in control and where you're not in control of your career. Yes. Yeah. Serenity prayer is a pretty good idea. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Being able to let go of what you can't control is probably one of the most important things any human being can do. Okay, cool. I'm not allowed to stress about stuff that I can't control. And the things that you can't control, you're not worried about because you've been preparing for them. Right. Mm. Or if you don't feel prepared, you know how to prepare. Right. What do you think? Rapid fire shit? Yeah. I was going to ask you next, just like some gear questions quick. Dude, like, let's go. Obviously being in the studio world, like give us some of the snare drums you got. What's your, Ooh. do you have a go-to uh, kit for a certain sound? The snare drums, I've got, well, it's a kind of a constellation of yeah. kind of A1 stuff. Uh, my sugar percussion, yellow cedar. Oh, that's right, the trigger, oh, yeah. Comes up a lot. Just kind of keep drifting back to that one for whatever reason. My gush drum is like a Black Beauty knockoff. It's a pork pie um, with Power Stroke 3 coated on it. Oh. Like the thickest head I could get. And I mean, maybe it's finger tight. I'm not sure. My kick, which is the single greatest thing in my studio, is a 50s Slingerland leather wrapped hmm. 20 inch. The thing sounds like it came from heaven above. It just lives mic'd up, ready to go. I think I've done maybe like four tracks in the last three years not using that kick. Wow. Because it just wow. sounds so good. Yeah. And I use the toms off of my Ludwig Classic Maple. I'm an all Ludwig guy. Love Ludwig. Oh my God. So I've got those kind of main snares. I've got an Acrolyte that I take out on the road. I uh, use a bunch of Istanbul symbols for the most part. Really have gravitated towards the sound of those. I still have a Kurope Zildjian floating around. That's actually kind of my main ride at home. Love it. Uh, it's just oh, it's so beautiful. I'm trying to think of what else is kind of floating around that gets used a whole lot. What about for the audio nerds listening, just some of the mics you're using? Mm. Up until recently, I don't think I had any microphones that cost more than like $250. Mm. So like Cascade Fatheads as my overheads, they're still up. Every track. Subkick, 150 bucks used. It's like the subkick that you're going to get. My kick in is a uh, Beta 52, 120 bucks. I got some 421s for my toms. And then, yeah, like I've got a Cascade X15 room stereo ribbon. Um, again, not that expensive. And then a lot of my other microphones are like cheap things. Like my knee mic is a $20 12 gauge mic. It's that shotgun shell mic. I think you've seen it. Yeah. Some guy in Vermont will go shooting oh, on the yeah, weekend. about those. Yeah. Oh. Grab all of his shotgun casings or all of his bullet casings and he'll put an electric capsule into those spent shells 
and the, they're cheap. They're like 30 bucks. And I swear to God, that microphone gets more compliments than anything else on my kit. I have Same, an $800 man. kick out condenser and everybody's like, Hey man, that knee mic, that thing sounds really cool. What is that? And I'll like send them the link and it's, <laughs> yeah, go buy 15 of them. They're amazing. Yeah. Pick that up from an Aaron Sterling post. There is yeah, a, I'm sure. there's yeah. a post. <laughs> I don't know. If anybody wants this, reach out to me because I still have it bookmarked, I think. There's an Aaron Sterling post from like four years ago where he like posted like a notes app picture and he just went down like 12 different cheap mic brands and gave his thoughts on them. He was like, Cascade, cool, grab these. Um, Aventone, stay away from it. Like, you know, Apex, get the 460B, you know, and he just like goes down like, and it's all these microphones that are like kind of entry level or like entry level is a bad word but you know cheap it's yeah. not like a five thousand dollar u47 like yeah. get yourself <laughs> a good cheap microphone to put on your drum set and he had like you know 10 brands listed and went through like all the pros and cons of like wow. a bunch of different microphones That's, what a resource and from, so coming the, from him too. yeah and the 12 gauge one was on there and so i was just going through this was probably when i was on the couch going through googling all of those companies and being like well what are all their microphones what's on the you know what's on the roster and i came across those 12 gauge ones and i was like 30 bucks i'll grab one of those yeah wow I, that's the biggest thing about all this studio stuff is like the accessibility and the affordability of this stuff now is absolutely insane you don't need a three thousand dollar universal audio x8p to feel like you're going to be doing it as a studio guy yeah maybe yeah. at some point you run up against a wall of some kind professionally where it's like okay i need to be able to keep up maybe i don't know but even aaron is like he played on some huge records and he'll freely admit this like using bad gear yeah yeah and it's just about knowing knowing the materials of what you're working with. Sometimes yes. even the drums too. Yeah. Just there's like, a reason why a lot of those vintage old kits like are still used. Like it serves the sound, right? Yeah. And he just knows how to use them. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the accessibility of these things now is wild. Like, you know, love or hate warm audio, but like you can grab some amazing stuff for not, not a lot of money. You know, you can grab a, a fat style condenser for 250 bucks and have a, a nice kick out sound. Yeah. Um, or a nice set of overheads. You don't have to take out a loan or put a second mortgage on your house to be able to like build a home studio. You can. Yeah, that's that's the exciting thing for everyone. This is like it's never been more accessible, never been more competitive for that reason. But mm -hmm. if you have that passion, just go for it, right? Yeah, and I mean, people will hire you for your voice on the instrument. So if you're developing your voice and you're mm -hmm. marrying that with your technical ability as an engineer, and you're putting that effort into the song and making sure everything's working. Um, the work will come. This is your show. I just have a front row seat. You climbed into the You want to know a couple of your favorite spots to grab a bite? Mm -hmm. In the neighborhood, Daddy's Dogs is obviously great because we're in the nations. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Home base, Daddy's Dogs, amazing. 51st Deli, amazing. Bare Bones Butcher, amazing. Oh. If you want a burger or a Cuban or like the best meatball sub or like they have this bulgogi sandwich that they do every once in a while, yo. Uh, we just went to Xiao Bao not that long ago. Brand new place over in East. Yeah. Pretty awesome. We like there, kind of Asian um, fusion. Yeah. You, oh. No reservations, right? You just you show yeah, up. Yeah, I think you just relatively new. Xiao Bao. Mm -hmm. We were actually, we were going to the symphony, so we couldn't yes. wait. So we had to yeah. leave, but we're like, 
We really wanted to go. It yeah. looks super cool. We'll yeah. be back. It's it's new, so I think the, the wait times are probably a little inflated. Yeah. But that's right across the street from Folk, which is another amazing spot, and across the street from Redheaded Stranger, which is maybe the single best place in town. Oh. <laughs> okay. You know, they make the tortillas in-house. They do everything in-house. It's the same chef that has Butcher and Bee. So I don't know if you've been Butcher and Bee. Um, so if you're a fan of that whipped feta from Butcher and Bee, yep. put it into a taco. You've really tapped a vein here because my wife works in branding exclusively for Nashville hospitality. So she works with all these restaurants all the time. So we're big restaurant people. So I know all these, all the, what, Babo, you want Korean? Go to Babo. Incredible. B-A-B-O, amazing. I do. Yeah, it's incredible. Very bad. bulgogi is unbelievable. And that's like a comfort food for me. If people want to book you for a session or get in touch with you, where can they do that? The Instagram will have all of the things at D-M-K-O-Z-L-O-W-S-K-I. Sorry for the last name. I would like to buy a vowel. (laughs) Um, Or at my website, danielkozlau.ski. I'm always available. Or somehow people get a hold of my phone number, just text me and we can hang out. Thanks thanks for the meet. Thanks you so much for the discussion today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the National Drummers Podcast. If you liked it, please consider leaving us a review on the Apple Podcast app. This episode was recorded at Diamond Sound Studios located in Nashville, Tennessee. Check out our new website, nashvilledrummerspodcast.com. And if you're not already following us on Instagram, you can follow us at Nashville Drummers Podcast. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.